0: Innovation is relational and emotional. It thrives in a vacuum just like in that movie when you have less to work with. Sometimes you can go farther, so limit yourself. That's not bad. And test, just get out there instantly. You tell people, we're using you as a guinea pig. Um, please tell us what you think of this.
1: Welcome to the Ministry of Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Join us as we discuss trends, learn from experts, and share practical tips to help your ministry multiply its digital impact. Well, we're continuing in our series on the digital ministry conference content. Today, we're gonna to hear from Tabitha Capick with the Chalmers Center. She's gonna be speaking on how innovation needs to be a vital part of your digital ministry. So let's get rolling.
2: Our next speaker um, was part of the online digital ministry conference in the past, and uh, it was fantastic. I, I'm really looking forward to hearing from Tabitha Kapik. Um She has spent more than 20 years in the space of design thinking and innovation methodologies, and um, just some of the things that I, I guarantee you, you're going to want to take notes for this talk in particular. Um, she's worked in the hum- humanitarian spaces both domestically, internationally. Uh, she's worked at the American Embassy in London, uh, led MedAir US during the response to the uh, 2010 hu- uh, humanitarian crisis, the, the Haitian earthquake. Um, and she currently serves as the Director of Innovation at the Chalmers Center, um, where she serves alongside her colleagues to end poverty and innovate God's kingdom. Tabitha, would you come to the stage, please?
0: Good morning. Um, I'm gonna start out with a movie clip and just to set the scene for you a little bit, the year is 1970 and it is, I hope you've all seen it, Um, the movie involves space and you'd think that for being 1970 the suits would be a little more disco, but um, they're not, so are you guys going to play the clip? Just go for it and guys, what you want to listen for, uh, we're going to end when Kevin Bacon says with
2: pleasure. There's a CO2 filter problem on the lunar module. Five filters on the limb, which are meant for two guys for a day and a half. So I told the doctor they are already people. up to eight on the gauges. Anything over 15, and you get impaired judgment, blackouts, the beginnings of brain asphyxia. What about the scrubbers on the command module? They take square cartridges. And the ones on the limb are round.
0: <laughs> Tell me this isn't a government operation.
1: This just isn't a contingency we've remotely looked at. Those CO2 levels are gonna be getting toxic.
0: Well, I suggest you, gentlemen, invent a way to put a square peg in a round hole. Rapidly. Okay, people, listen up. People upstairs handed us this one, and we gotta come through. We gotta find a way to make this fit into the hole for this, using nothing but that. Let's get it organized. Okay. okay, let's build a filter. Better get some coffee going too, come Great, thanks. Um, hopefully that didn't feel too familiar. I can imagine in a room like this, you might have experienced like, okay, we need you to put this round thing into this square thing. Uh, no money, just figure it out, uh, and we need that right now. That's kind of, that's kind of the point. So I'm going to refer back to that, but basically we're going to talk about today is the way that innovation is, I'm going to make the case that it's relational, that it is frugal, and that it is, has a bias to action. And by the end, I hope you'll see how that fits with that Apollo 13 movie clip. So I'm Tabitha, and I'm from the Chalmers Center. And I know we're speaking at a digital ministry conference here, but we uh, help the church and Christian nonprofits fight against poverty. But what we did is we created a whole tool. Oh. See, they made the button bigger, so I would push that one. It still didn't work. Design, design. Um, we made a tool called Innovate Global, and um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. Uh, You might have heard of the book When Helping Hurts by Dr. Brian Fickert, he's my buddy and my boss. But what we did over years is combine three things into this training. Um, We took God's big story of change, which is what we base everything on at the Chalmers Center, and we took, you can ignore this part if it doesn't apply to you, asset-based community development principles This is a way of approaching poverty that starts with what the people have rather than what they're missing. Uh, And then we took the best stuff we could find from design thinking. And so Brian and I worked over years with a team of people to create this training that we've now been able to globalize. Um, We really believe in embodied training So the pandemic was uncomfortable for us because we had to get pushed online. And I, I know I'm talking to a crowd that understands that. But what it has allowed us to do has been amazing. We have had Christian Palestinians zooming in from Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And that, I would have never predicted that. We thought we'd have a lot of U.S. churches and nonprofits come to the training. But... Middle East um, South and central america it 's just been exciting. So um, I want to show you two pictures. So this you can see is uh, this is Uganda, the Kibera slum it's one of the largest informal settlements on the planet, um, and I was took this picture pre pandemic um, in two thousand and nineteen I think and then I wanted to show you this picture it 's very similar you 've got. You can tell that people have been there a minute. Um, But if you look in the background, that mountain there, that's where the Chalmers Center is. And my house is up on that mountain. And this is 15 minutes from my house in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, We actually are seeing a rise in homelessness across our nation. And you may have noticed cities like this, tent cities they're sometimes called, popping up. But it always concerns me as someone with a history and international relief, when you start seeing signs of the way they're building, and there, there's even little economies breaking, you know, starting in these camps. So Chalmers really, our goal is to equip Christians to walk alongside the materially poor. And we define poverty in a certain way that might be different than you do. I mean, we think of poverty back here, right? You don't have a house. You don't have stuff. Um, But what we believe the Bible says is that it's actually you have broken relationships. So creation, God made everything beautiful, the fall. Now we're kind of these twisted bike tires. Um, We're supposed to be these wonderfully relational beings, our relationship to God, to ourselves, to others, to all of creation, including the earth but it's been marred, and that's why Jesus came back, and as we wait for his return, we as the church are supposed to help people move and ourselves more to that circle, so that's what we try to do. Back to space. Um, I use a lot of space things. I don't think this deck has any of my Star Wars jokes, so maybe next time I'll bring those, but now I just wanna talk about innovation for a second um, because we think of innovation as these big jumps. So here you go, 1969, we got p- uh, you know, people on the moon. That's crazy and very innovative. It took whatever, you know, scientists doing stuff like that, running around buildings. Um, the thing that really concerns me though is something that happened three years later. It wasn't until three years later that anyone thought to put wheels on a suitcase. So, I mean, I'm excited that people went to the moon. I am really excited that my suitcases have wheels. That really helped me and helped my life. Um, so some we think sometimes like innovation, it's over, we can't make up anything new. I don't think you guys think that. I think you know because you have your fingers on the pulse of what's happening, but um, in terms of innovation, how we want to get to it, using design thinking. You've got these, this Venn diagram, viability, feasibility, desirability. You know, viability is, like, is this a good decision for our organization to do? Um, is this part of our strategic plan? And then feasibility, feasibility is, like, can we do it? Well, the guys in the movie, they had to do it, right? The three astronauts were going to die. Um, we can't lose Tom Hanks, guys. We almost lost him again. Uh, what, what this says is design thinking says just push off on viability and feasibility for a minute. Don't ask those questions yet. They'll come back, but don't ask them yet. So with innovation you want to slow down and come through desirability. What do people want? That's a different question from what can we give them. What do they want? What do they need? Um, and that is very relational. You might, if you have sharp eyes, notice I changed this slide a bit. Because in the marketplace, innovation is called human-centered design. And we like that. We're a pro-human. But we know that there's some things in the fall as broken people that we want that aren't good for us. And as Christians, we know we're always designing before the face of God. So everything you're doing... um, Is before God, even though when you're just slaving away at code or trying to get a site to work, um, it's before the face of God. So how do you tell? How do I tell if an innovation has happened? Um, For me, I look for moments when I see relief, delight, and hope happening for someone, hopefully your main stakeholder that you're designing for. Um, So those wheels on the suitcase, those gave me... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. Those gave me... um, Delight! It relieved, like, literal the weight was off my hand. Okay, I show this terrible slide, looking slide, because I just want you to know that design thinking has been alive and well for decades. It's now just a normal tool that's used in the marketplace. But those sorts of tools hit nonprofits, churches, later than the marketplace. So it's really coming um, into its own in the nonprofit space. But it is an old process. A lot of what we use comes out of um, my home state, California. We use the Stanford D School, that design school, and a company called IDEO. They have a lot of free resources online. I think Stanford University Design School has an innovation bootleg with free tools you can download to get your thinking going, but I'm also going to share some tools with you. So we took this. Thing And we said, hey, we want to do this in West Africa. We want to do this in rural America. We want to do it in places that we're not going to use a lot of consulting language or jargon. So we stripped this whole thing back to three steps. That's our process. Listen, make, test. And I'm going to tell you, uh, we have like a a million tools. And I'm going to quickly tell you about just a few. The thing about this drawing that I'll point out is that it's a circle and not linear. And that can be really uncomfortable, but you kind of go around this multiple times, always listening, always getting feedback and testing things till you get to that solution. So when we teach the course Innovate at Chalmers, our teams come and learn these 21 tools. Uh, Wouldn't it be funny if I tried to teach you that in 10 minutes? I'm not gonna do that, but I just wanna show that it's, it's a, both a divergent and a convergent process. That is very jargony, I'm sorry, but you start out, right, and you're listening to your stakeholders, the people you're designing for, the people paying you to design something, um, the people that are gonna use it, and you get all these data points, and then you have to let go of some of them because you go down to file into one question. Then you brainstorm and you get a million awesome ideas and then you have to focus down. So it's this perpetual you know, building up and taking down. Um, but that's important to know because design thinking can feel, when you start using a new process, you can feel like my friend the pug um, because it's, it's uh, different and it, it makes you feel uncomfortable because you you're not used to using the, your brain and your people in this way. Like, one of the big things we do is draw, and people don't like to draw, um, mostly. So, I just want to say it's okay Um, later in classes. It's not here, but I put in a Baby Yoda there. I'll just describe the Star Wars jokes. They're not here, but imagine a Baby Yoda. So, what I'm saying is that I am saying you've got to be relational, and that includes being emotional when you're design thinking because you'll learn emotion is a shortcut to innovation. Frugal, another way of putting this is be asset-based. Use what you already have at the beginning, because basically design thinking says you want to spend very little money and time, so you want to go fast and cheap for as long as you can before that big investment, and all the way along you're testing and making sure you're right. We don't tell you to go in an ivory tower Build the perfect thing, and then just launch it. Because we think that's expensive, and it doesn't always work. It's, it's not a great use. So when I'm talking about being frugal, I'm really meaning it in the best way, that you use what you already have. And then finally, it's active. And this can also make you feel uncomfortable, but you need to get out there with new ideas and try them with users in small tests. And we do this all the time. So in the first step, I don't know, I feel like this group, I was gonna skip the frog story, but I'll tell it real quick. Okay. In the pandemic, my family and I were going hiking, my husband and my two teens, and one of my teens is right there. My daughter is my bodyguard while I'm here and my driver. Um, We went on a hike. I wanted to take them to a cave that I had found years before. Nobody's around. We get to the mouth of the cave, and there's suddenly a family coming out, we give them space, it's like 2020. we're like, okay. But I noticed that the guy, the man, is holding his hands like this, and I love animals, and so I kind of was like, what do you have there? And he said, this little frog was freezing in that cave, and I saved him, we're bringing him out here where he'll be okay. And we just sort of nodded and went in the cave. Guess what we found in the cave? More frogs, lots of frogs. We found a consistent water source dripping down the walls. We found a consistent year-round temperature. We found insects and cave crickets, consistent food source. This frog was good. And what these well-intentioned people had done was taken the frog from somewhere where it was comfortable and had what it needed and moved it to somewhere where they would feel comfortable. And we want to make sure that we don't do that when we're designing solutions. For people, we don't want to make it comfortable for us. You guys are the tech gurus. We want to make it comfortable for my mom, who can't really use use her iPad that well. We want to make it comfortable for the teens, who are just like, you know, way better than us at all the tech. Okay. So, first, that just, who do we need to listen to? Both of those people I just mentioned. Be creative, take some time to think about who your stakeholders are and be expansive about it. The main person that you're designing for and then other folks. Um, One of the things I like to talk, that was a cute picture but I don't have time, but just you can enjoy it for a second. I'm still gonna tell you about this. Um, One of the hacks, a pro tip, is to use design to the edges principle where you go and find extreme users. So for instance, with mobility, let's talk about sidewalk users. You have someone who is like, there's a lot of runners here. I am not in shape. But you have someone who's a runner on a sidewalk. They're an extreme user of the sidewalk. You have someone in a wheelchair, a different extreme user on the other end. The, um, if the principle says that if you find those two people, whatever you design for extreme users will have benefit to the hundreds of people in the middle. And you can just skip talking to 300 people and talk to two or six. So, that's, that's a fun little hack. Um, do you know what your colleagues look like before coffee? <laughs> you maybe do now, at this, from this morning. This guy looks exactly like my friend, Tad. And my kids know that there's like an amount of coffee I need to drink before I'll talk to them, but I'm gonna tell you real quick about journey mapping. We know how to plan a trip, we, know, we pick our endpoint. we pick uh, how we're gonna get there, where we wanna go, Who's gonna be with us? Well, we're, I'm gonna tell you real quick about another type of thing you can do. It's a very simple tool called a journey map. You can sit down with one of those extreme users, hopefully, and um, ask them to tell you about their experience with your product, either your website or some app you made, and just sit with them. And the reason why we do journey maps, let me show you what one looks like and then I'll go back to that. This is what a finished journey map looks like. You have a list of things across the top they're doing. So Kevin here is going from his alarm clock going off to going out the door. I circled the highs and lows point because that's his emotion, when his emotion is up and when it's down. Both the ups and the downs are shortcuts to innovation. Those are places that you and your team need to pay attention to and you can, either amp up the good, or try to mitigate those lower feelings, to raise them higher. So that's, that's one tool, but why, why would we do that? Let me go back. It can help you expand your idea of what you're designing. So if you think about dropping off kids to school, and you want to make that experience better, we only think about the time that we drop the kids off. A journey map makes you say, okay, how do you feel when you leave the house? Then what happens? Then what happens? What happens after you leave? It just broadens what you can design around and your space where you can innovate. Um, yes, and the journey map itself becomes an artifact, something that communicates with just, without relying only on words. Uh, and it helps you build empathy, that emotional relational part that you need to innovate. Oh, we have, a, we have a group on Facebook. And we put up videos and links to tools for innovation. So if you want to check it out, it's just called Chalmers Innovation. Um, okay, being frugal. So I'm, this is where we started uh, the process in West Africa. And we took folks through. We built it with them in mine. And we, and we have some fantastic stories uh, from that trip if you want to ask me about it. One thing we do when we're brainstorming is we use constraints. So you know how if you've ever had a brainstorming session, you kind of you get um, stuck at some certain point? That's fine. First of all, you should be standing when you brainstorm. You should all gather around the wall and have post-it notes and big markers. but When you get stuck, there are brainstorming constraints that constrain you in some way that help you innovate. And here's a couple. Make it a game. So just brainstorm ideas around making it a game. Um, You can't use the internet. I know that would kill you, but trying to do something without your primary tool can really push you into spaces you didn't imagine. And then you can come back and use the internet. I know you guys are having to figure out how to make internet spaces, digital spaces more real and tangible. How do you get people who are attending online church, is there something they can have at home that is physical that will connect them more to the digital experience? We actually at Chalmers use the um, four relationships I talked about, like how can we make this idea strengthen the user's relationship with God, or with others, with the earth, with themselves. Prototypes, I'm not gonna have a lot of time to talk about prototypes, but please draw and make prototypes with paper. This is where the frugal comes in. You don't have to build an app, you can build it on paper. You can watch this video on YouTube, it's pretty cool. It's one long piece of paper that they're moving through a frame. Um, yeah, we can keep going. So that's the prototype on the left, and then you see on the right, you sat paper in front of someone and said this is how the app will work. And then you gather their feedback, take pictures of them using it. So again, we haven't done any coding, we're just trying to figure out what we want it to do and how the people feel about it. Do they like it? Is it something they desire? This just illustrates the difference between um, when you don't draw and then when you do. And how much, better you can gather around a drawing with your team. Um, It's just hard to get adults to draw. This is my my beautiful artwork. I do stick figures and boxes. But drawing it allows you to really get different feedback from users when you build something out of cardboard than you might otherwise. I'm gonna skip ahead. Always give feedback in this format. Try it in your marriage. I like what you're saying about this. I wonder about that. So even in the way that you give feedback within your team can be generative, and our team just talks to each other like this now, and it's, it's great. Okay, I'm going to really hasten on here. Um, we've had churches do a lot of different things, building on the assets they already had. So. This one church wanted to um, do something for uh, food insecurity for kids in their city, and they were kind of reaching out of the realm of what they had experience with. But through the asset discovery part, they realized, oh, we have this really good after-school care program. Let's just build on that. So their idea, a lot of those parents are unchurched, and so they're just embracing those parents and trying to serve them. They bought a sandwich board to put out where the drop off is. Um, just beautiful but simple things like that, uh, reaching out to people. Those ladies work with um, imprisoned, in incarcerated moms with infants and they developed in our class a baby book that was prison safe. Uh, it was beautiful um, and then this team had different churches in their city each build these homes for homeless people on their church property and then move them to one location, it's, it's beautiful. So we're seeing a lot of great things. Um, my last piece of advice is if you feel stuck, ask the youth group what they're doing. and <laughs> They're gonna be using your space or the environment in really innovative ways. So innovation is relational and emotional, It thrives in a vacuum just like in that movie when you have less to work with. Sometimes you can go further. so limit yourself. That's not bad. And test, just get out there instantly. You tell people, we're using you as a guinea pig. Um, Please tell us what you think of this. So that's kind of what I would encourage this group to do. I'm excited that you are out there trying to help us navigate this world we haven't been in for Christ. So thank you very much. And thank you, Chad, for having me. I don't know where you are, but he's a great guy. Okay. I'm done. Kenny.
1: Wow. That was great. Just getting a sense that innovation is relational, it's frugal, and it has a bias for action. You know, I would love to hear from you on how your ministry is being innovative for reaching new audiences. Maybe you're using new technology, or, or perhaps you're using old technology in new ways to reach new people. Whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you. Just shoot me an email at chad.williams at 5Q, five F-I-V-E-Q and let me know. And if it's creative enough, you just might earn an invitation onto the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And until next week, keep learning, keep growing, and keep impacting your world for Christ.